0: you me. Good morning. Good to see all of you here this morning, uh, ready to fellowship and also, we hope, ready to worship. I love that song because it reminds us of who who we serve by loving God, but not, not only that, how great thou art and it's a beautiful, beautiful song. This morning, as we begin our service, I was kind of looking at a verse this morning before I go into the bulletin into to the pastor's message uh, verse uh, as we live on this earth and we have really uncertain days God reminds us in, in Proverbs chapter 3 verses 5 uh, 5 and 6 it says trust in the Lord with all your heart lean on your, not on your understanding in all your ways acknowledge him and he shall direct your paths I think those are wonderful passages as a reminder that who our hope is in, and uh, the fact that success comes from him as we put our faith and our, and our, and our lives into his hands. This morning, uh, in your bulletin, you have a bulletin this morning, a very special, very special announcement, I'm sorry. Um, coming up February 11th, once again, uh, our annual meeting, our annual congregational meeting, and basically, we ask all you your members to stay and participate and see what God has done, really, throughout the year in the ministries here at El Paso Bible Church. And so we hope that you, you can stay for that meeting. And also, um, the, the fact that if you're not a member, I still think there's time for you to become a member of El Paso Bible Church because there's sometimes, there's, things that we need to vote for and only the members can vote for here in, in our congregational meeting. So we, we encourage you to become a member here at El Paso Bible Church, not only for that, but also as, as uh, participating in, in the ministries also here at El Paso Bible Church and be, you know, uh, in, the, in that fashion. So coming up February 11th is our annual congregational meeting and also our ongoing ministries that you can pray for that are listed there in your bulletin. This morning, I want to ask you to open your Bibles to Jude, as I read a couple passages out of Jude. Um, I'll be reading verses 12 and 13 in preparation for a pastor's message. Beginning with verse 12, it says, These are spots in your love feast, while they feast with you without fear, serving only themselves. They are clouds without water, carried about by the winds. Late autumn trees without fruit, twice dead, pulled up by the roots. Raging waves of the sea, foaming up their own shame. Wandering stars for whom is reserved the blackness of darkness forever. Wow. Let's pray. Father, this morning we are grateful to be here. We're thankful for your word thankful for the ministries here at El Paso Bible Church, not only for the music also, but our pastor and all the other, uh, those that participate in the ministries to make this particular day possible, Lord, for us. So we thank you, Lord, for their effort, for their work, and for their commitment to this body here at El Paso Bible Church. And Father, I thank you for uh, all the things that you do for us Uh, during the week, during the day, every minute of the day, Father, because we're promised, Father, that you're with us, not only in front of us, but also beside us and all around us, Lord. And the encouraging words of the fact that you say that if we draw near to you, you'll draw near to us. And so, Lord, we pray that this um, will encourage us, Lord, to know that you're there with us no matter what, that you'll be there because you're the faithful one, you're the all-powerful one, You're the one that delivers and you're the one that saves, Father. And so, Father, we thank you because you're a good, good Father. And so this morning, Lord, with grateful hearts, we thank you for your grace mostly and your love. Thank you for the Lord Jesus Christ, Lord, as we just lift up his name this morning in worship. Pray that he's magnified above all. So thank you again, Lord, for all that you do for us. And even this morning as you uh, speak through our pastor father that your word these words coming out of these pages father will be encouragement to our hearts and that we may understand more today than we did yesterday thank you lord in jesus christ's name amen amen would you stand
1: with us this morning at the time of worship can set me
2: Good morning. Good morning. hope y'all are doing well. You sound like you're sniffling less at least, right? Is the plague mostly gone? Mostly? No, no. Okay. All right. Well, uh, we'll keep praying for that. Children, you guys can go to Children's Church. I think we have adventurers and explorers today as I release them. Is that correct? Yeah, there's our explorers. Okay. That's the key one. We have adventurers every week, uh, but we want to make sure that we Well, let's just say we wanna make sure that we release them uh, appropriately, with appropriate supervision. That okay? All right, yeah, yeah, yeah. I I have occasionally accidentally released some children that that needed to come back. It's way harder to get them back uh, after that. We just gotta try to keep them from going out the main doors at that point. Uh, But anyway, sounds like y'all are doing better. I'm doing better. I'm down to maybe one coughing fit every day. Uh, still can't quite seem to get rid of that thing. Hopefully uh, it won't start during the message today. Uh, but we do need to, we need to keep praying uh, today. Um, you'll notice that uh, Danny's back with us today. Where is Danny? Danny, where are you? Danny's gone. He left. He knew I was probably going to do that. Now, I'm standing before you as somebody who's had a Pentecostal stretch out my legs twice in his own mind. But I hear that they're actually going to stretch that young man's thumb out. Uh, and I did not know that they could do that. So we're going, that. we're going to pray for that. We're going to pray for that. We're going to pray for Josh today. He's going out on mission a couple weeks now, Josh. Uh, and, uh, and of course, we're also going to pray for Israel this morning, as well as just general health, because uh, we need it right now, cold and flu season, et cetera. But we're going to do that, and then we'll get into Second Peter. Uh, Father, we thank you for this day. Uh, we do thank you that we're able to join together in worship in a time of teaching that uh, we don't really distinguish between the two. We know that we are ascribing worth to you in worship in both activities, but we're thankful for the hearts of our music leaders and the team that is here every week uh, and rotates every week. We have so many people that participate, it's just a blessing uh, every week to hear what they have prepared and to serve with. Uh, and Father, with that in mind, we thank you for Danny and for his heart, uh, having grown up largely at El Paso Bible Church and serving that whole time since he was much younger than most. And we pray for success uh, in the, the endeavors of the doctors here to to restore his uh, hand as much as possible uh, after his accident. And uh, Father, we do pray also for Josh in particular. Josh McGee, as he's gone out on mission here in a couple of weeks now, we do pray that uh, it might be a little shorter. As they've indicated, it might be than what initially was planned. But Father, pray for safety for him. Uh, and Father, we do pray. We pray for the peace of Jerusalem. Uh, and we, pay, we pray for peace in the promised land for your promised people. And we do that without apology, knowing that apologies are demanded on many fronts, even here in El Paso, when you say such things. But we embrace your promise to Israel, knowing that uh, your covenant people, your covenant nation are placed as a kingdom of priests in this world, and you are not done, you have a future plan for them, and those who bless them are blessed, and those who curse them are cursed, and we pray that their enemies would be cursed this morning. Uh, Father, we pray for our time in your word today, that it would be uh, productive, and that it would grow us towards maturity as we seek to bring you glory in our lives today, and it's in your son's name we pray. Amen. So here we are in 2 Peter uh, 15 to 19 is what we'll cover today. And uh, we're talking about growing in grace. Uh, We need to remind us of that because we're in a very extended portion of 2 Peter. Uh, We need to keep in mind that the original readers would have read this in a much shorter time frame. Uh, They understood the culture. They knew the author Uh, They spoke the language. They understood the idioms, all of those things. Occasionally, my my children will ask me, why does it take you, why does it take you, you know, like 40 messages to get through that little book or whatever? Because it wasn't really written in your language to you in your culture. um, If this was talking about, you know, like I was just in in San Antonio a couple weeks ago, if the illustrations were about how to make enchiladas with wolf-brain chili on top, I got it. Right? I can, I can learn that in 35 seconds, because I grew up with that. But you didn't grow up in the ancient Greek world speaking Koine Greek and learning those things. And and this really wasn't written, it's written for you, it's written to you in a theological sense. But we need to explain it. And so we're. We're talking about growing in grace, and we've talked about the fact that Peter teaches us that he's given us everything that we need for life and godliness, and that is a truth to be believed today, because sometimes you're unconvinced. Sometimes you're unconvinced, yeah? That you actually do. And so faith in that proposition, faith in that truth, is what enables you to fill the gaps and get out of bed in the morning. To put a point on it, when you don't necessarily believe, when you don't actually kind of consider that you have everything that you need for life and godliness, we need to look at the list. We need to look at the list of things that God has provided to us and has then asked us, commanded us, provided for us to supply them. See, because a lot of times we act like we've got we've to create something. You know, and I'm, I'm, a, I'm a woodworker. I'm a pretty good woodworker, actually by most standards, uh, in, my, in my wheelhouse, okay? Everybody throws like roofing and plumbing into my woodworking, that's not woodworking. I'm talking about traditional cabinet making, making furniture. But I am not an artist, not an artist. My dad was an artist. My ga- dad could take a crayon from Bill Miller's and take a paper plate and make you an heirloom buffet china count whatever on the back of the plate not a measurement there and he would just build it for you and if somebody asked me at bill miller's hey draw me out an heirloom buffet and build it for me eh, no i can't that's not my wheelhouse you give me a picture (laughs) at least a picture and a dimension that it needs to fit in i'll come up with a buffet for you but don't give me a paper plate and a crayon And sometimes we act like that when when God says, I want you to do this thing, we act like he's demanding that we draw it out on a paper plate, that we conceive of the thing, draw it out, and build it ourselves when, in fact, what he's asking us to do is to simply provide something that he gave us freely. Do you see the difference? The burden of creation is not upon you or me. Praise Jesus. He does not ask me to live the Christian life ex nihilo, out of nothing. He has provided everything and asks us to grow in it. And so we, in this process, can know our position and know our vocation, and and we're able then, as we're growing in grace, to develop the confidence that we need to discern between what is true and what is not true. That we need to be able to encounter biblical teaching, and I'm going to differentiate something there because you use biblical differently than I just did, teaching concerning the Bible. And we need to be able to discern from people who are mutilating the Bible for their own purposes and people who are teaching the Bible as the true product of true prophecy that was inspired by God, authoritative and absolutely correct what we say inerrant theologically speaking we need to be able to cultivate that because biblical prophecy is what defines God's word it means this is what God said and this is what he wants you to understand it bears his authority it's unique but not everyone who opens the Bible in front of you takes it that way Not everyone who has a successful career in a radio teaching ministry or writes books or publishes them understands that to be true. There have been false prophets from the Old Testament, what Peter calls false teachers into the New Testament, that try to peddle their own words as God's word, and they do it with malice. Sometimes we give them a little too much credit. You know, uh, you've probably had a conversation like this about some really objectionable, awful, malicious person. Y'all know some of those people? Nobody wants to admit it. Just don't be that person, okay? That's all I'm concerned about, really. I know you know some malicious, objectionable, awful people because you're human. But you'll be in a conversation talking about that person, Objectively, I'm not talking about gossip or whatever. And so, oh, I think that's a good person, but he's really got a good heart, but no, he doesn't. It's malice. And people do this about false teachers all the time. He really means well. Uh uh-uh. uh. Scripture does not teach that the character of false teachers is without malice. You may have somebody that says something stupid every once in a while. Occasionally, I may have, I may, hypothetically, have said something stupid. It's the, it goes with the territory. We, we, we teach for a living. Sometimes we're not clear. The way that I explain my views is not inerrant like Scripture is, okay? That's not what a false teacher is. A false teacher has malice and entices people. And they have smiles on their faces. And they're way nicer than Pastor Josh. Way nice. You don't have to try hard, right? We all agree it's okay. You don't have to nod your heads. I said, stop nodding. Stop nodding your heads. <laughs> you don't have to agree that much. <clears throat> so much of what's out there is malicious, and it's always kind of been that way, right? The examples that Peter gives: Noah. Was saved. Only eight people were saved out of the entire creation on the ark. Only Lot was saved out of his city. The lesson has to be that true teaching from true prophecy is not a consensus. It's not in the majority and it never has been in the majority. We can't vote on it. We don't vote on it. Understanding that. Because we could we can understand Peter Peter's, man, he spent a lot of time on this. He has. Having confidence and faith that God knows how to rescue the righteous, no matter how dark the world is. We need to believe that. to rescue the righteous no matter what it looks like. And we need to know how to distinguish between malicious false teaching and true teaching regarding God's Word. So last week, we were in part of this section. I think we finished the sentence. I'd have to go back and check, but it feels like it's still the same topic. And last week, we talked about false teachers, and we said that they rebel, they revile, and they come to ruin. They come to ruin uh, and those are true things those are characteristics of false teachers in the in the ultimate sense they are in fact what what peter describes that they have constantly predatory gazes they're always looking for someone to prey upon uh, adulterous eyes and instead of speaking truth into people's lives they are they, they speak imprecation curses they take god's word and speak things that end up cursing people from it now you may think you've got the idea don't raise your hand because i'm going to preach this passage anyway and i don't care because peter says you're not done yet so when peter says you're not done yet i say you're not done yet is that simple okay but you may think you got the idea i i i kind of think that peter's readers may have been at this point going i think we got it peter there are malicious bad guys trying to hurt us i think we got it but you need to understand that peter understood the danger was real he was coming really I, we i think later in his life coming to the end of his personal ministry we talked about that that he was confident of his ministry in the world And that in those last years of his life, at least, maybe days of his life, he chose to reaffirm for them things that they already knew and in which they had already been established. And the reason for that is because all of his teaching here on false teachers is predicated on the risk that people who were once stable become unstable. They are at risk even having been firmly established in God's word, firmly established in their identity, firmly established in what God wants for them, they are at risk from the malicious teaching of false teachers to become unstable and be enticed. And if they could do that, in, if Peter was worried about that in his own lifetime, I'm worried about it today. Because I've seen it happen in people who I would have called friends. in my life, personally, that people who were once stable become unstable and they're enticed away from the truth of God's Word. Becoming unstable is not the same thing as being enticed, deceived, tempted, but it, it makes you liable for that. That's what Peter teaches us here in this passage. They'll be deceived, and having been deceived, their lives temporarily will be ruined. The risks don't go away. What does that what does it look like? Well, uh, stable people becoming unstable. Remember that these guys indulge corrupt and fleshly desires. Now, Peter explicitly says that it's sensuality or licentiousness. He, he focuses in on that one category. And we could say that a lot of those people that I mentioned uh, become what is politely called fully affirming. You know what that is? Where they say that not only do we extend grace towards people that are LGBTQI, P, XYZ, whatever. However many letters it is, etc. We should just say LGB, etc. Now. Not only that that we should be gracious, because we agree with this, yes? Graciousness is always required. Graciousness is always required. Gracious. Nobody's nodding. Graciousness is always required. But that is different than saying that there is no sin and that the sin is destructive, damaging, and ruining, and will ruin people's lives. And in my own life, I have a friend who some of you would know because he's active in other circles. I don't have to do with church. Um, has become Fully affirming to the point that he he presided over a a lesbian wedding. I've known him for, you know, 20 years. (laughs) He was stable. He was solid. But no longer. And he didn't do that by closing the Bible and ignoring it. He did it by maliciously interpreting the text, he still has his Bible open, and he smiles a lot more today than he did 20 years ago. A lot of evidence of this, but, but understand, that's, that's actually what Peter describes as the false teachers here. Verse 15 says this, and this is in the middle of a sentence, so stick with me here, right? Forsaking the right way. Forsaking the right way. What does that mean? Were they always teaching falsely? No. They forsook the right way. They were stable. They became unstable. They were gracious. They became malicious. That's how it goes. Forsaking the right way. And he gives an illustration. It's a heck of an illustration. I was talking about this one with somebody here recently. Forsaking the right way, they have gone astray, having followed the way of Balaam, the son of Beor, who loved the wages of unrighteousness, but he received a rebuke for his own transgression from from a or for a mute donkey, speaking with the voice of a man restrained the madness of the prophet. Now, you may not remember where the story of Balaam is. Balaam was kind of, we've talked about this, he was a little bit of a rock star as far as ancient prophets went. The reason I know that is because he's presented in the Torah. It just says, Balaam, right? And you're supposed to see the neon sign, right? Everybody knows who Balaam is. Balaam was a rock star prophet. And you find Balaam doing some admirable things. A king of Moab comes to him and says, uh, hey, I need you to come curse Israel. (laughs) No. (laughs) I'll give you a crap ton of wealth if you come curse Israel. No. You'll know how much a crap ton is just one ooch up from a buttload, which has a definition, by the way. You can just, just Google it. I know you got your phone open. Buttload is an actual measurement. Don't you think I'm just being ridiculous? I'll give you all this money if you go. No. Finally, God says, go. Third time, I think it is. Go. Just remember, you say what I tell you and nothing else. That's the standard I hold myself to. (laughs) I'm no rock star prophet, but we share that, right? I'm going to just say what the Bible says. He goes down the road on his donkey, his faithful donkey, He knows his faithful donkey because the donkey tells him, I've been faithful. (laughs) This is a crazy story. (laughs) I've been your faithful servant for my whole life, and here you are mistreating me, the donkey says. God personally confronts him in in a way that is visible only to the donkey. And the donkey saves his life because he is willing to just charge ahead. And the angel of Yahweh is willing to take his life personally. Christophany there as I take it. something changed we're not told exactly what but balaam agreed to go on the basis that he would only say what god told him to say and the scripture explicitly says that yahweh was then angry because he was going something changed in his mind in his heart in his heart mind whatever you want to say he started loving the money because god never told him don't take the money he just said, say what I told you to say. It's was madness. Madness is what scripture calls it. To approach prophecy that way, to approach teaching the scriptures that way. It's madness to try to speak God's word this way. Something changed. And the donkey intervened. I did a, a research paper on this a few classes ago in my doctoral work, Old Testament synthesis, and uh, pointed out that uh, basically Balaam becomes the donkey. Right? He proclaims God's word, and he- abuse is healed on, heaped on him by Balak the whole time. Because he's doing what is righteous and trying to save Balak's life, he becomes the donkey. It's a remarkable parallel. He started on the right way. He started to do the right things for the right reasons, but that changed somewhere on the road. They start. He loved the wages of unrighteousness and received a rebuke from a donkey. These are springs, verse 17, without water and mists driven by a storm for whom the black darkness or the blackness of darkness has been reserved. I don't know if you, in the last 13 and a half, 14 years that I have pastored El Paso Bible Church, I've driven through Fort Stockton a whole lot. Y'all, driven through Fort Stockton. You ever wonder why it's there? They got a Bush's chicken. No. I'm not not heaping, you know, I I just didn't understand why it was there. Why does Fort Stockton exist? What in the world is it protecting? Ever asked that question? Well, I asked the question one day because I'm a dork. I looked it up. Fort Stockton was created to protect Comanche Springs six artesian springs that produced huge amounts of water right in the middle of the desert. And they were trying to keep, shall we say, the the Native Americans from using it as a base camp. That's why Fort Stockton exists. I don't know why it still exists. (laughs) Because the springs dried up in 1961. And all they can get out of it is a swimming pool now. There are six big springs without water. You know what we call those? A hole. It's a hole. There are six big holes in the ground that used to pour forth water. A stable water source. Now it's zero water source. 1961. But Bush's chicken is still there, and I think a subway. K-bob's is there, but they got rid of the salad wagon, so I don't stop there anymore. You like that salad wagon? Springs without water. This is a dry hole. Mists driven by the storm, not much better. You know, like when it rains mud here? Yes? Y'all do, y'all lived here long enough, right? It just sprinkles enough that the dust falls out of the air. Your trees will still die and your car will still be dirty, and that's all it does. Lots of promise. No product. No profit. No benefit. springs without water, mist driven by a storm for whom the blackness of darkness has been reserved. For speaking out arrogant words of vanity, they entice by fleshly desires, specifically by sensuality. So you need to understand scripture doesn't call everything that is sexual fleshly. Uh, A sexual temptation is a fleshly temptation, but there are lots of things that are flesh that have nothing to do with sex understand that division is never a spiritual enterprise you know most people in church focuses a lot on that fleshly behavior here actually some division is called for right what we would call the right division we need to distinguish between the false prophets the false teaching and the right prophets and the right teaching out of scripture But they they entice by flesh, right? You want, it's an innate desire to want to belong to an elite club. An elite club. Yeah? You want to be special. You are special, just like everybody. I'm sorry. I was quoting the Incredibles for you. When everyone is super, no one will be, which is also another topic for another day. But, you know, a lot of times in, in, in church lately, I mean, the catchphrase, I don't know if it's still out there because, you know, I buy my clothes at Tractor Supply. I'm not trendy. I got this suit at Tractor Supply. No, I didn't. But just today. Just today, y'all caught me off guard when I had to say that and admit that not everything comes with Tractor Supply. <laughs> but you'll hear, and I heard it from people my age and younger, I just, I just need people to do life together. What they meant is that they needed to be the most important people to a small group of people. And somebody from which to exclude them from the other people around them. And that's pragmatically why it happened. That's also pragmatically why we don't focus, contra every church growth book for the last 60 years, on having a modern version of a small group ministry. Oh. In my experience, I was in charge of them at a church a little bit, a good bit larger than this one for a couple of years. It was a mess. It was horrible. and didn't do anything to create godliness or discipleship. It created division. In fact, literally split the church. So that's what they're doing. They're enticing you, you want you to feel special. They want you to incur the, 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 that fleshly desire of division fleshly desires of other kinds, including sexual desires, which we see. I mean, there used to be when I was a kid, you know, the, the, the pulpit pounders, right? We talk about adultery. I wish that that's all I got to, had to pound the pulpit about, right, guys? Sounds pretty plain vanilla, doesn't it? You know what I'm worried about? Is somebody coming through the door to sue me over not marrying three dudes in a bicycle? That things have escalated, have they not? You know why they have escalated? Because of crap being taught by false malicious teachers. This says that the Bible teaches that all of your sexual desires are evidence of God's image in you, and you can't distinguish between that, and it's all, it's all good. And there's nothing you need to fight in your life. There's no sin that you need to kill, or it'll start killing you. One of my favorite phrases you need to be killing sin in your life, or it'll kill you. The wages of sin is death. That is the check it writes, the only check it can write. Wait a second. How many of y'all have handled a check in the last six months? Okay. Thank you. It's the only Venmo it can send. How about, it? is that better? Cash app, whatever you use. I find a new one every time I go do a B removal for a Generation Z person, I find out that I do not have all of the electronic payment options available. I really only want to take cash, but have you ever handed cash to a Generation Z waiter? They treat it like you just handed them a dirty tissue. I love them, you know. They don't understand what benefit you're providing them, giving them cash. What's that, Bill? Oh yeah, well, no, I don't even ask for change. Don't even ask. Don't ask. I love, uh, understand, it's just different. And I'm a dinosaur to my own generation, so I, I feel it, okay? Um, there's no problem, right? But these false teachers have malice. They do not want you to have your best life now. They're trying to destroy us. Our life here, they cannot rob us of our identity. Nothing can do that. Nothing can separate us from the love of Christ. Our identity cannot be taken, but our lives can be brought to ruin by foolishness and malice and failing to discern between false teaching and true. That can happen. It's one of their main instruments. It's all over. I, I don't know how many are out there. I've told you that I have personal friends that were stable and now aren't. And are leading others astray. But this last week, Alistair Begg, of all people. Did you all hear about this? On his, on his radio program, Advised. That man's been on the radio. I was listening to old reruns in the back of my mom's van again when I was eight. Decades. Alistair Begg. He, he advised that we all ought to go to every gay wedding out there, bring a present and celebrate with them. No, sir. No, no, I won't do that. I won't do that. I'm not going to celebrate that. Functionally, it's impossible. That's not a wedding, right? Are you, are you there? It's not a wedding. Now watch, now, now instead of the, the Palestinian flag people who find our website, I want to have another kind of flag people finding our website. It's not a wedding, that's not a marriage, and you can't celebrate it anyway. Nothing to celebrate. False teachers lie because they have malice towards people, towards believers. They want them to live in bondage. And they avail themselves of things. Pragmatic. They're speaking arrogant words of vanity. They entice by fleshly desires, by sensuality. Those who have scarcely escaped from the ones who live in error. That's the, the new believer or the immature believer, the ones that have not been walking in freedom for a long time, and they're susceptible. Right, you hear people sometimes say something stupid, something stupid. When, when Jesus, when, when the gospel record says that he knew their hearts and he did not entrust himself to them. Do you remember that? People that scripture just said, they just believed, but he didn't entrust himself to them. What is, what is that teaching? Well, a lot of people say that Jesus knew they weren't really believers. That dog will not hunt, right, because scripture says they were believers. As they believed, what it's saying is that not all believers are trustworthy, because they're not all mature. He did not entrust himself to them, because it was not time in ministry. Here, these people have escaped those who live in error. They are no longer on that path. That's not their identity, but they are susceptible to the malice of false teachers in ways that people who have been maturing for decades aren't. That's what that's teaching. They find the vulnerability and they dig down in it, new believers. God, God, my my dad frequently would say to me, Josh, you know, God has a special mercy on children and fools. I think he was right. He never cited a Bible verse for that, but I'm sure he had special mercy on me as a child, and I think he was claiming at times that he was a fool. <laughs> I'm not sure he made foolish decisions. God has particular viewpoints of particular things and of particular people, does he not? He, he differentiates. But when false teachers go after new believers, God holds that particularly as an onerous activity. He doesn't take kindly to it, targeting the weak and the new among his children. Says they promise them freedom while they themselves are slaves of corruption. Years ago, uh, I was here by myself. Uh, That happened quite a bit when I was first here at El Paso Bible Church and I was in the kitchen here. This happened a couple times, scared the absolute blazes at him, just scared me to death. I turn around and there is a very homeless individual in the kitchen with me, a very well-spoken homeless individual actually. This is something you find out. I've worked in, uh, in that context uh, a good bit in my previous ministry, uh, in my life during seminary and things like that. And what you find is that this happens a lot, that a lot of people who are homeless choose that and they choose it because they're intelligent in their own minds anyway. They're, they they're not victims. They, chose, they choose a life that is entirely unencumbered. And I would say that this man did that. This man had chosen uh, that it was better to be off the grid entirely. I kind of have some empathy with that, that viewpoint, actually. He asked me for something to eat. You know what I had in the house? It's a lot less than's in there now, uh, in a way. We just had a men's breakfast. We had peanut butter, jelly, leftover bacon, and rye bread. Most of the people that I would offer a peanut butter and jelly bacon sandwich on rye bread to that do this would reject it out of hand. He said, "Hand me the bacon." Do you want a knife? Nope. He spread the peanut butter and jelly with the bacon on the rye bread, slapped the bacon in it, and ate it. And he said, I want to do something for you. And he wrote out a stock tip on a napkin. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) That was not what I was expecting. I was spending prayer. You know, I've had random people like I mentioned come in and offer to straighten out one of my legs. Happened twice. Didn't work the first time. Told him to come back. Stock tip. What? What are you doing? (laughs) Stock tips. You've obviously made a choice to be unencumbered by financial concerns, right? You could call it bondage. I won't necessarily call it bondage, but you know what I mean. Like, what business does he have in giving me a stock tip at all. What business does somebody who isn't experiencing freedom spiritually in their life have in offering it to somebody else? Right? You guys like action movies? I like Occasionally they come in on the rescue attempt and somebody is chained in a room. It would be like that person talking to the guy with the rifle, the shotgun, the grenades, and the body armor, saying he was gonna rescue him. If that happens, you don't take the movie seriously, right? If that's a legitimate plot line, but people do this with false teachers all the time. They don't demand of them evidence, how are you walking in freedom? How are you free from the bondage that I think I see in what you're teaching? How do I do that? How do I validate it in your life? Uh, They just have cute hair and a nice smile, and they're nice. They have nothing to offer. They're slaves of corruption, of malice. And Peter says this. This is the proverbial principle here. For by what a man is overcome, by this he is enslaved. Now, you need to understand, you're Americans. You don't like the word slave. Am I, is that a jump? You don't like the word slave? It was a legitimate socioeconomic strata in the New Testament. It was very different from what you perceive of as slavery. He's not saying, I know that, right, because all the apostles referred to themselves as slaves of Christ. Right? Yes? Sometimes your your NIV says bond servant, I think. Indentured servant is the idea you get with that. I'm not sure that's right. In fact, I'm sure it's not right. Slave, loss. Slave. He's not saying don't be enslaved. He's saying choose what to be overcome by. Choose what to be overcome by. That's a freedom that you have as a believer in Jesus Christ. Do not be overcome by false teaching that entices by the flesh and sensuality but rather be overcome by the freedom and the grace that Christ provides. Choose the authority in your life and reject false authority that comes by false teachers that are the predominant input at any time, I mean, almost any time in historical record. Peter was warning about this in his own lifetime. Did Paul ever not get chased by Judaizers? In his whole, I mean, the only time he did was when he was one of the, I mean, not even one, he was not a believer. When he was a persecutor, he wasn't being chased by them. But as soon as the light switch flipped and he became a believer, immediately they began chasing him, trying to tear down everything that he was teaching about freedom and identity in Christ. It never escaped, and it was... By the numbers, it seems to me, the preponderance of what was out there. If you take a consensus view of how doctrine is determined and how false teaching is rejected, you will pick false teaching every time. Did I say that correctly? If you take the consensus view, if you give everybody who opens a Bible a vote You will end up with malicious false teaching making demands on your life and enslaving you. You must reject that consensus view. Reject malicious false teaching. And maybe every once in a while listen to your pastor when he tells you where it is. When you bring me in that cool paperback you just picked up, that's free. That's not the main point. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. Thank you for the freedom that we have in Christ. We pray for the courage and the wisdom to supply the things you have provided to us in order to avoid living in bondage in this life. And ruining uh, the tremendous gift you've given us in physical life with a purpose, seeking your glory. Growing in grace. that we would be able to identify those who abuse God's word with malice in order to enslave your children in this life. Instead, embrace the freedom of your grace. And it's in your son's name we pray. Amen.
1: Would you stand with us, we'll dismiss with a song.